We all have heard horror stories of how a remodel nearly tore a couple apart, as well as how impactful our environment can be on our state of well-being. Remodels don't have to end in divorce, and we can reflect our true selves in our environment with the right approach. Welcome to Psychotecture. My name is Rachel Melvald, and I'm a psychotherapist and designer. Psychotecture was developed as a methodological approach to ease issues that come up in design challenges, as well as the philosophy on how our environment can reflect our highest selves. Each week, I will interview an expert in the field of design and psychology to shed light on design challenges. I will also have a special series called The Psychotech is In, where I can offer help to those in design intervention need. Welcome to The Psychotech is In. We have Marcy Roth, our go-to star realtor, who has the ability to speak to the emotional lives of real estate and the emotionality of real estate. And this is why I go to Marcy, because she's able to understand people and understand who they are and the dynamics while also being a very knowledgeable real estate agent. Marcy, today we are going to talk about, as it's very poignant, being the seller and the emotional world of selling somebody's home, whether they've lived in it for a long time or if it's a developmental change or divorce. How is that for you? And and just kind of generally opening that question up. I mean, I try to handle it all professionally and, you know, it's part of my job, but I mean, I empathize with my clients and I, sometimes my clients were my friends before they become my clients. So it's hard. I mean, it's, it is a personal business. I have to try to take it and then move on, but you know, it can be draining. Like I, like sometimes all the conversations and interactions I have in one day are very emotionally draining or they could be, but you have to sort of try to cut and go to the next thing. But like I was saying today already, I've had so much happen by 1.30, it felt like I said to my assistant, it feels like it's five o'clock. I mean, just the amount of conversations like this couple that I have their house on the market, it's, they're getting divorced and there's pressure and the pricing and one person wanted this. That was conversation. Then I went over to a woman's house who's my client where her husband just passed away less than three months ago and she's having to declutter and she doesn't really want to move, but she needs to move. But so she tells me that she won't move unless that's very traumatic. And then, you know, I went to another listing where I deal with that seller. So it's a lot of, you just have to sort of, I mean, not to sound cold and calculated, but I have to try to compartmentalize it or I would, you know, never be able to get out of bed, you know, and you're dealing with people's money and personal lives. So it's hard, but I I definitely empathize and I really do genuinely care about my clients, but I try to balance it with, I have to go to the next person and someone else needs me that day. Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually really healthy mental health care because you can't just, as I am as a psychotherapist, when you're going from client to client in sessions, you can't take it with you. Right. You have to have some boundaries and you have to close it up. Exactly. And it does not mean that you don't care. And that's the thing with empathize, I guess, versus sympathize. Yeah, because you empathize, yet you're saying it's, for the benefit of you, your clients in the future to be able to draw these boundaries and to compartmentalize. Because I think what we're speaking to, one thing as a psychotherapist, we have a session, we have an hour, maybe more than one or two in a week, perhaps depending on the intensity of the case. But Mm -hmm. these are kind of ongoing 
transactions that don't have a beginning. Well, it does have a beginning, middle, and end because of the sale, but it's so ongoing when you're in the process. It's like an intensive project. It is. There is a beginning, middle, and end if it all goes well. And that's what's nice. And then, but I mean, it's an end in that you've finalized that transactions, the emotions sort of return, the money goes in the bank and, you know, hopefully you stay friends or they stay a client for future, but that transaction is done, which I like that part of it. And I, that's what I like about real estate is going from one thing to the next, never gets boring. Every transaction and every client's different. So, but it is nice with transactions. Usually if all goes well, you, there is an end. Yeah. That's actually sounds really nice that you have that containment of a project. You know, it's not like ongoing therapy, right? Yeah. So there is that, right? But when you're in it... It seems like it's never going to end. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're in the day-to-day of it, it's like you can't tie it up. That's the hard part. Yeah. When you're in the midst of a negotiation or the, you know, you're having issues, it seems like it will never end, but it does. always. And it does end. (laughs) Everything's temporary, right? So like... Going to a case where it's a divorce, how do you manage that financially as well as are you managing talking to the couple together or how do you usually work? If you can give me an example of how that works. I mean, it depends. I mean, this situation, they haven't actually formally, they're starting the process, but they haven't formally filed yet. So they're trying to see what the proceeds from the house are as part of the divorce. I do tend to talk to them separately. Just, you know, I do that anyways, because, you know, usually people aren't glued together when I talk to someone on the phone. But I do have to have two conversations because I'll tell one one thing and then the other one wants to have the same conversation with me. And you just end up having to have a different conversation. And then they'll, the problem with this particular is like, they'll go, well, Marcy said this. And it's like, I sort of sometimes become, it's good cap, bad cap. I become like the punching bag a little bit slash mediator. I take on different roles. I mean, in this particular one, they haven't filed. You know, sometimes they're already separated and living. You know, one person's moved out. This is not the situation. They're both still living there and they have kids. So that's that scenario. But I haven't, this has been my most where I'm dealing with it as it's happening and they want to sell before the divorce has gone through. And is that more problematic before the divorce has gone through in terms of just financially working with it or just it makes it more complicated because they're still in the midst of it? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I think for this, the the money in the house is basically probably most of what they have money-wise. So I think it's that's why they want to do this first and there's children. I mean, that probably is not that uncommon. You know, I haven't really actually, I've referred an attorney who you know, I've referred attorney to the woman in this marriage. They're trying to work something out so there's no, you know, like they can do mediation and all of that. But I mean, I'm trying to sort of stay. That's not my expertise. So I just try to deal with the house sale. And, you know, I did talk to the attorney a little bit to ask if there's anything I should be doing. And they gave me guidance. But I'm not like this is not an area I specialize in, per se, nor do I know that I want to specialize in it. Yeah. Well, it could become your specialty. You <laughs> <Or> no. <laughs> I mean, I guess for you, what do you think you need to be more equipped to support yourself emotionally when you get dragged into working out 
their issues through you because you become very easily a target because you're holding so much, like you're saying, financially and emotionally in this transaction. You know, the problem is it's like you are in, you are in their dynamics. So, and I'm playing into the day. I mean, I wish it were an amicable divorce. I think part of it is that's tiring as I was also friends with one of the parts of the couple in particular. And I was actually referred to like, so I'm connected through them through family. I think, I mean, I don't know. You know, every divorce sucks. So I don't know that there's any. Yeah. No, it, it does suck. You know, I think I'm doing the best I can. I think, it, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. I don't think there's some magical thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially when there's children involved and that maybe it's a house that they were born in and it's just shitty. And, you know, look, I'm like one of the girls, the daughter came, she likes me, but she like blocked my number so that the dad wasn't getting any messages from me. Yeah. I mean, this is the house she was born in. So like I'm seen as the enemy. So she's not accepting calls from you? No. So the dad was not getting my calls or texts. And I would say to the wife, I was like, you know, I called and he's not coming back. And she would tell the husband, I mean, they're still living in the same house. And he would be like, I have no calls or texts or anything from Mercy. And I would, you know, I finally screenshot it and they were all in green. Well, no, the daughter had blocked my number on the father's phone. So she, he wouldn't get any information from me regarding that house sale. Oh, <laughs> smart. I mean, she was like, well, if I block the realtor from talking to my dad, I can block the sale. So sort of funny. Oh my gosh. That shows how the daughter is, she's upset. She doesn't want the house to be sold. That's what I'm saying. Like, so you have to sort of like, it's like physicians the same way, you know, it's like hard when someone's sick and dealing with family, but you have to be able to handle it professionally. Because they're looking to you also to handle it a certain way since they're not emotionally equipped to handle it. I think that's so that's what our role is. Right. But it is important to put the professional hat on where you can't take care of this family like a therapist would, or you can't take care of it like you are a family member or a friend in that way. Yeah. I mean, in this, like in sometimes these cases, I'm friends with people. So it's a little hard, but I have to, when we're dealing with real estate, I have to keep it professional. And I really pride myself on being very professional and keeping it that way, especially when it comes to the transaction. Um, No, and I don't want to be people's therapist. No, I don't think you are. I think that's healthy because you're not a therapist and that's knowing your lane And I think that people feel safe with you because I think you have good boundaries, but I don't think you're cold either. So I think you're empathetic, but you have good boundaries and you're keeping it moving and you're, you're keeping the guardrails where they need to be. So you have to keep people focused. We have to keep people focused on like, there's all this noise happening, like in any transaction, there's all this noise, 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 noise. I mean, there's enough noise coming within the house transaction and then you have all this other noise. So you have to just sort of keep your eye on the prize. And it's not about the commission. It's about what they've hired you to do, which is to sell their house and get them on to the next thing. And that's what I try to keep the focus and filter out the noise, but obviously acknowledge it and talk to them when I, they need to. Sometimes it's just they need to vent and I listen. Yeah, and that's just all you can do, right? You can just listen and be there for the time that you can. I mean, in a seller's market today, though, wouldn't this be a a very quick transaction or turnover in terms of getting the house sold because of the 
It can be. I mean, I have like right now I have 15 listings. I mean, some of them have been sitting for a while. Like I have a couple of things on the corridor where it's softer market. I have things that are overpriced maybe, or they're particular, not necessarily overpriced, but they're particular houses. You know, they're not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, it depends, but yeah, I've been busy. I mean, we have, have multiple offers on a couple of houses, but even a multiple offer situation, it's not without stress. Multiple offers is very stressful because it's like, I have a multiple offer on a very high end house. So the prices aren't where the seller wants them to be. I mean, it's insane, but so, you know, multiple offers are stressful too. They have their own set of issues and then people don't want to be in multiple offers. And then the, everything is, you know, comes with its pros and cons. Right. Because even if there's multiple offers, <laughs> there's so much to have to sift through in terms of just that alone versus one great offer that, that a seller would take to. What is like the ideal selling situation that you've had or, you know, that was like as clean as positive in terms of. I just had one actually. It's closing next week. The ideal is, well, the total dream is where the client trusts your opinion on price. They're willing to stage the home. They're not around. (laughs) They let you show it. You price it right. And it goes into escrow. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, that's my dream. I mean, I actually had something pretty similar. I have a house in Encino. We priced it well. We had a ton of showings right away, but I could tell the sellers didn't like doing showings. So I took, we were getting a lot of pushback on certain, but I took a really strong, quick offer and we went into escrow. And just this client's so easy. The seller's like, Marcy, whatever you want. They trust me. And you know what? I got him a very good offer very fast because he trusted me. That is so great. So, I mean, that's, that's like the ideas where they, I mean, most of my clients trust me, but they, you know, sometimes people think they know better. Everyone thinks they know the market better than you. <laughs> you know, they know this, they know that, they know everything. It's like my worst case, you know, like versus respecting someone that this is what they do every day. So there's a lot of that where everyone thinks they know better. Yeah. You must get that so much. You do. That really requires you to keep your confidence and kind of saying, this is what I know, this is what I do. And to trust somebody, I think it just qualifies easier relationships, right? When you have that trust. And I imagine when you have clients that need more control, it's one thing to be informed, but it's control. Control. It's all about control. Which, psychologically speaking, control we have our inner locus of control where we can say like the serenity prayer, that which we can manage and the wisdom to know what we can't. But when you give up control to someone like you, who is an expert in her field and who I implicitly trust, there's people like where you do say, I trust them. I would, I would give them the sale of my house because I trust her as a human being and as a very knowledgeable realtor broker who is going to, get the most that she can. Right. So I think it's a rare find in you, you know, where somebody probably could find that sense of, I trust her, but like in any profession, it's harder to come by, but I think you've built your legacy as you're building it through this. So that sounds like mm-hmm. a really important variable that you just highlighted and also gives you the freedom to show the home and do what you got to do. 
And that's another good question, maybe probably one of our last questions for today's segment on selling. But do you find that staging really does increase the interest in, in sale? It neutralizes a house. Yeah, I think staging, because a lot of times people's furniture that they have is for comfort living, and but it may be out of proportion of the house. I just find that staging brightens, opens up, neutralizes a house, and then people are less focused on the the couch or this or that, like right now, like I went into a place this morning and it's all about the stuff. You can't even see the beautiful floors and the cabinets because it's all about the stuff. <laughs> staging's great for like, with a clutter property, staging's also great for hiding flaws. Like I have this brand new construction where they won't stage it. And, you know, everyone comes in pointing out all the flaws in the construction because that's all there is. If they're staging, not that I'm trying to hide something, but it like, you know, people are buying a lifestyle. Yeah. People's eyes got to go somewhere. when they start looking at the foundation, you know, they're looking at the framing, the crown molding. And, but I mean, people, when they buy a house or a condo, they're buying a lifestyle. I mean, it's a place they're going to live. They're going to have their children. They're going to have friends over. They're going to live. They sleep. So you're buying a lifestyle. And when you walk in and the house is beautifully staged, condo, whatever is beautifully staged, it just, it brings out the best elements of that particular property. Yeah, I think that's well said. Yeah, I mean, and less is more, you know, it lightens it. Like if you have a house that's dark, it lightens it up. If you have a house that's the rooms are small, the stagers use the right proportions to accentuate. I mean, you know, unless you're a professional designer, most people don't live that way to day to day. Right. And they have family pictures and stuff, but this neutralizes it so that someone's walking into a neutral space. They're not walking into Marcy's house. They're walking into my maybe future house and it's just, I like that looks great. It's like, it brings out the best in the property. And it's about that. I mean, when we sell property, when someone's not staging, we try to depersonalize it because the whole thing is when someone, we don't want to be walking into Rachel's house. I want to be walking into my potential future house. Right. No. And the other thing too, vacant, like, so there's furnished where the furniture needs to be swapped up, but there's also staging vacant properties and like where someone just vacant properties, the rooms look smaller. So there's that for staging and then staging where people's furniture is in it is the reason I was explaining to you is neutralizing it. So what I'm learning today is to depersonalize and neutralize is a positive for selling space because it gives a chance to project your own future lifestyle into the space versus living in someone else's past. Unless somebody really has the design ability to really make that oh, I want to maybe live in that space the way it looks. Right. You just don't want the house to look really, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's a specific style and like look antiques, but stagers are pretty good. I mean, sometimes stagers will come in and I just met with someone this morning, just come in and help shift stuff around and declutter. There's that too. Like if you have great pieces and you just need someone to help come in. I mean, that's, I'm okay at that, but that's not my, I know what I'm good at and not good at. I don't really totally have the patience for it. So I can come in and say, this should go, this should go like at a high level. But like today when we met with this organizer person for one of my properties, they'll sit with the seller. They'll go through, they know what as realtors we want. Like she's my partner. They know, she knows what I want out of there. And she sort of facilitates it with the seller. And that's like an interim if they really don't want to stage, at least just to help reorganize, take pictures down and declutter. Oh, and this is somebody that works in your office that does this? For a living? No, it's someone I hire, but this is in the world. That's what I was saying. That's an alternate to staging if someone really doesn't want to, or they can't stage. I mean, you know, sometimes to declutter and 
Yeah. I mean, if you have children and you're living in the house, sometimes it's hard to stage and then you have young kids on the stage furniture. I mean, there's some practical day to day that make it not, but the perfect scenario is to stage a house. Okay. You will make that one back and then some. Yeah. It's, it's a good ROI to stage, to paint and stage. To paint and stage. Okay. And that will immediately increase your sellability. And it's invested on the, on the seller's behalf. They're the ones who are paying for that. Yeah, the seller pays for the staging and for the painting, the fixing of their property. Okay. And do you ever employ stagers that sell the furniture when the new buyers come in and you have that transaction or previous owners who... Yeah, I mean, the one transaction I just now did now, they're buying. But that actually, I facilitate it, but I don't get involved in it. Like That's not my expertise either. Like So if they're buying from the stager, the stager, some stagers still have price lists, and then you just sort of facilitate it. And then the buyer works directly with the stager. And then if it's home buyer to home seller, we just facilitate it and go back and forth. Oh, they want this. And, you know, so we don't really negotiate. We just sort of play messenger. Like I don't negotiate. If it's part of the offer, I help negotiate it. But if it's something they do after escrow's open and it's, if it doesn't impact the sale price of the house or directly the sale, then that, I don't get involved in that. Okay. Well, I, I'm not a furniture specialist. <laughs> Marcy, I know you know your boundaries. Like I'm very good at staying in my lane. You are so good at staying in your lane. And I like, I want to do it all. You know me, I'm like in 5 million lanes. So, I mean, I appreciate your ability to do that. Well, not just in real estate. I learned that long ago. You outsource what you're not really good at. It's just, you're better off. Like it's an opportunity cost. Like I can pretend to do this stuff well, but I'm not that good at it. You know what? But that's good. You delegate. And I think that might be another feature and in, in the Psychotech is in is around staging and selling and to increase the value in terms of how to enhance and accentuate the space. I think that's a whole topic in itself, but it's good to learn that you and your experience, this is, this is a big component of the sale. And when, when folks allow you or invest in that, it can only help. So I think Marcy, we need, we need to give Marcy a therapy session after her weeks of working as intensely with what she's been working with, with home sales and dynamics. So I think that psychotectism should, should turn into somewhat of Marcy's therapy hour. So, but thank you so much. We, we love having you as a guest because you ground us so much in making this accessible and I hope to do it again really soon. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. This is Psychotecture by Rachel Malvald with coaching, consultation, and psychotherapy offered virtually and in home throughout the Los Angeles greater area and nationally. We work to ease design challenges to create transformative habitats. Thank you, and we look forward to the next episode and your questions, so don't forget to subscribe.